Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be coming up in this episode as NBC's The Blacklist becomes the latest drama to turn to animation as a way around the COVID-19 crisis. Brandon Barr tells us why a groundbreaking technique pioneered by his Trioscope studios could be an option for other live action shows if the production lockdown continues. And multi-Emmy award-winning host, writer and producer Nancy Glass discusses the shows her US company Glass Entertainment has been working on during the pandemic, plus new ways of doing business that could become permanent on the other side. But first, David Brady, chief executive of Canada's Cream Productions, the Toronto-based factual focus prodco behind series including Netflix docudrama Age of Samurai Battle for Japan, talks with C21's Clive Whittingham about the future of the genre and where Unscripted goes from here. But starts off with a very personal story of contracting the coronavirus himself. We sent everyone home on the 16th of March thinking, well, it might be a couple of weeks. And um, we've been working remotely, and that's, you know, 60, 60, 70 people working remotely since. And then I was uh, happily at the cottage north of the city when I started feeling ill, and um, we realized quickly that it was maybe something quite specific. And I got kicked back to the city by my fiancé and the kids, and they said, (laughs) you know, off you go. So, yeah, I ended up with the the virus for a couple of weeks. um, isolated by myself in the city and, uh, you know, worked from home there. But it was a kind of a surreal couple of weeks where I didn't really see anybody and was trying to get over the sickness. But luckily for me, it was like a, a cold or a flu with a few sort of strange little additions. But, um, you know, unlike what some people are dealing with. What was different was that the my lungs about still actually, and for a couple of weeks afterwards, were not quite right. And I worked out at one point, you know, a couple of weeks after I felt I was done. And um, for about 24 hours, my lungs just wouldn't fill, (laughs) if that makes any sense. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm out of shape a little bit too over this time, but it just felt very, very weird. So yeah, that was about it for me. Uh, Any other year I would have thought, well, that was a strange cold or flu. And on the back to the the business side, uh, how has how has that changed and been affected? Did you have stuff in production that had to to be yeah. halted? Tell us a little bit about how the company has pivoted. You know, we are thankful that we happen to be across our productions, and we had I think seven seven or eight productions in full pr- production going. They happen to be at points in their schedules where it didn't, it wasn't crucial. It wasn't, um, you know, an overnight issue. So a lot of them were either in prep, um, which is, you know, a lot of people can do from home, you know, researchers, writers, APs, you know, prepping from home. Um, So that worked okay. And some of them were in post. The ones that were in post at first I thought were going to be a real problem, but, you know, hats off to all those people in the post-production community. They are, they were incredible. They moved almost overnight to, to set up remote systems, be it edit systems or online systems, uh, color correct, composing, and they're all doing it remotely. It's actually pretty incredible. So it's teaching us a lot of lessons. But for the most part, we were either in prep or post. The ones that are in production, we've slowed them down and we've kind of stretched the toffee on their schedules a little bit. So we slowed it down and we'll see how it goes. So if we open up again in July and we can start shooting, that'll be okay. If we don't open up until November, that's something totally different. And I think all of us in this industry are kind of just looking at that calendar and wondering, you know, A, when things are going to open up and B, 
Will it be staged? And what it's going to look like? And and all of us are wondering about that and trying to be proactive at the same time, trying to trying to sort of suggest what we think is right. But it's all you know. Ultimately, it's up to the the, the health authorities and the, and the policymakers, really. I guess the nightmare would be to start up again and then have to to lock down again. Is that is that better than having to wait till November or both nights? Clive, there are there are a number of nightmare scenarios. <laughs> That's the problem. Um, yeah, there's that. There's also the idea of any new green lights might come with strange clauses in contracts that exclude, you know, anything having to do with COVID. There might be insurance issues. Well, there will absolutely be insurance issues, um, exclusions dealing with COVID. There will be international travel issues, I'm sure. So even if you open up at a state or provincial level or even a national level, Who's to say you're going to be allowed to, to go over borders? I mean, there's so many ramifications to it. So I think a lot of us are trying to just simplify our plans as much as possible. So of all those things, traveling borders, you know, insurance, um, you know, uh, flexibility with a schedule when it comes to not scheduling around, you know, specific dates or events. If you can minimize as much of that, I think that's what a lot of us are trying to do. So when we do open up, we have some flexibility. And I think one of the reasons that, you know, we're a company that didn't have to shut down touch wood is because we had that sort of elasticity and flexibility in a lot of our schedules. It just It just happened to luckily be built in. Um, insurance issue is something that's come up a lot in my conversations. Are you anticipating that insurance companies will just take pandemic out of it? And if there is another lockdown while you're in production, you're on your own, no, you know, no payout for you. Is that, is that what you're anticipating? And how do you go about dealing with that or, or addressing that? Yeah, it's funny. I just actually literally jumped off a Zoom industry, Zoom where we were all discussing insurance issues. Yeah, I think, you're, uh, I think it will be exactly that, is that the COVID will be excluded from all policies when it comes to insurance. Um, and that's having to do with, you know, cast insurance and key man insurance to, you know, health and safety for the crews. But it's also got to do with E&O and travel and finishing completion bonds. I mean, it, it kind of ripples up and down. And when it comes to financing, you know, if you've got bank financing on projects, you know, the main thing, you know, the key to any bank financing is proving that you can finish a show. So yeah, I think it's going to be an issue. Uh, ultimately, you know, a lot of us in the industry are thinking that, you know, nation by nation, it might, that the, the insurance industry may need to be backstopped by government. I mean, that's going to, that's going to come up as well. So many unknowns. So I think for production companies like ourselves, it's about trying to limit the variables right now as we plan going ahead. So are you changing your development slate and what you're looking at doing to compensate for things like that? You know, not less ambitious program wise, but less ambitious, you know, production wise. We are. Yeah. The funny thing is the networks and I, you may ask me about the networks at some point. Um, we find that the networks are saying it's business as usual. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, the development, you know, the, the people who are looking to, you know, commission down the road, oh, we're looking at everything. I kind of find that hard to believe, to be honest. So in a sense, we are still developing projects that will rely on international travel and all, all of that. But at the same time, we are kind of hedging our bets and also developing for those limited variables. So things that can mitigate the risk, you know, not international travel, maybe not huge crews, smaller crews, maybe things that'll involve archive or animation or stock footage, CGI, things like that, where, you know, the, the things that if it, there's going to be a lockdown, if uh, you think, what, what's the first thing that's going to be stopped? Well, that's big crowds and big, you know, and, and 
small spaces, it's uh, travel across borders. So yes, we are doing that kind of thing. I think like a lot of companies though, when this first happened, we thought, oh my God, we've got to get out there and, and, and you know, pitch them some total COVID proof programming. And they kind of pushed back on that a little bit, the networks I found. They said, no, no, we don't really need that right now. Some networks, mind you, I've been talking to are a little more, you know, I won't name any names, but they're a little more desperate for programming than others. And the ones that are desperate for programming, I think are a little more open-minded to that than the ones who are programmed two or three years down the road and feel sort of less up against the wall. You know, we're kind of, like I said, we're sort of hedging our bets a little bit. We've got some less risky stuff. Mind you, I'm taking out two projects right now that are totally international travel over all kinds of borders. You know, if there's any COVID issues at all, they're not going anywhere, but we're stubborn and we're still pitching them. And, and, you know, I think they're great projects. What state do we think the US cable business will be on the other side of this, given that the bottom has fallen out of the ad market? Ironically, at a time that viewing figures have never been better. Yeah, it's interesting because I tell people are, you know, who aren't in my business, just sort of friends, they say, you know, how are you guys doing? I say, well, it's, you know, it's pretty good for now. I mean, my two of my main clients lately have been Netflix and CNN. And guess what everyone's doing right now? So it seems on the surface to be okay. But as you say, the ad world has basically collapsed lately. And that's a global phenomenon. And in the television and cable business, it's a bit longer of an effect. So those contracts last a little longer than they do in, say, the digital world. So you've seen ads disappear on the digital world very quickly. It'll take a little longer to disappear. Those contracts will expire on a slightly longer term in the cable world. But I think that that is going to be globally, not just the U.S. cable market, but globally for entertainment in general. That could be, you know, a real existential threat. And that's got to do with the the general economy. And then there's the OTTs, you know, know, I think Netflix, what they announced, 16 million new subscribers last month, I think it was. So it sounds like good news for the OTTs, but at some point, if the economy doesn't bounce back, you know, viewers are going to be making choices about their OTTs and their spending as well. So I can't believe that they would be, that the OTTs would be immune to any economic malaise. But back to the U.S. cable biz, I think that it could be, you know, theoretically something that takes it down to, you know, a pretty, pretty sad point. Uh, I do look at sports, though, and say news. You know, CNN's a good example. CNN's, you know, ad-funded and it's news. Um, I think from what I can tell, they're a client of ours. They're great. Um, I think that they seem fairly healthy. I think news and then sports. I think sports might be, if it opens up and people, you know, craving the sports that they want to watch globally, I think that might be something that really pulls, you know, keeps the the cable market or, or terrestrials alive as well. It's potential. I mean, we lost the Olympics this year, so, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, you know, people are craving their sports. Is there one particular challenge or problem through all of this that's particularly keeping you awake at night? Or is it a, a smorgasbord of horrors? You know, on a, on a professional level, I think that we, uh, listen, my fiance uh, runs a company. It's a very different kind of company. And they had to shut down overnight. And they laid off everybody, hopefully temporarily. But it's, that's a stressful situation. And, you know, worldwide, there are companies that, shuttered so i feel very lucky that our company is you know right now running pretty much business as usual i mean there's a few things we've changed um but uh, pretty much business as usual but what i do worry about is what we were just talking about is the longer term effect that a global recession will have on all of us and then for me you know ad sales drying up you know networks being less healthy less orders i worry about that 
I wore it at the six month to a year mark and out. But in the next three weeks, everything seems fine. Do we have to hunker down and prepare for six months to a year? I think that's what we're starting to think about 100%. But like everybody, we don't know what's going to happen three weeks out to two months to six months. And I think every day we're, you know, there's more data coming out and people are getting a little better look at this and, and policymakers globally, I think, are starting to sort of understand it more. So I just kind of, I just kind of think, you know, wait it out a little bit and, and, and hopefully we'll have a little more objectivity on this as the, the days and weeks go by. Cream Productions Chief Executive David Brady talking with Clive Whittingham. Clive also spoke with Nancy Glass, founder and chief executive of Philadelphia-based Glass Entertainment, maker of series for CNN, Animal Planet, Discovery, HGTV and many more, to find out how the independent producers adapting to the crisis and the changes she sees to the business longer term. We are busy in that we've been asked by certain networks to come up with ways to create shows without going out with a crew. And in addition, we just released a podcast called Dating Diaries, Confessions from Quarantine. So we're interviewing people who are quarantined. Uh, We talked to one young woman who's making out with her dog just to stay in practice. I think she's kidding. How do you go about producing when you can't go out and and film and things like that? How How are you working around it? Well, We are sending out high quality, but easy to use camera equipment to the subjects of these shows. We sent out actual audio equipment and people just mic themselves. And what we do is we zoom into the shoot so that we can direct it long distance. And it's worked out pretty well, surprisingly. You know, we've had to pull shows out of the field, anything that we're shooting has been shut down, but we're shooting new shows for networks who want something that addresses people staying at home. At the start, people were talking about, for example, let's do clip shows and archive shows. And that was the big thing in like the first week of lockdown, but doesn't seem to have materialized. I don't know, is that something, a trend that you guys saw or tried to get on board with? Yes, we did see it. We did try to get on board, but we were, uh, we pivoted to something else. When we realized the entire world was jumping in that pool and we tried also, we came up with other ideas, which were to take shows that already aired on networks and repackage them and add new material. We're doing a show for HGTV, for example, called Fix My Fail. And so viewers are sending in all of their DIY fails, and some of them are hilarious. And, you know, when people shoot it themselves, they're willing to make fun of themselves. So it's really fun. And then we have our HGTV hosts on camera showing them how to do it correctly. And we're in the midst of shooting this now, and it's working. You mentioned you had stuff that was in production that you've just had to, to lock down. Does that go on the shelf? Does that come back in a few months? Is, are those ideas dead now? What, ha- what happens to those? Well, good question. But they've all been commissioned. So uh, we're working with the networks to work it out. We have a show for Natchea Wild. It's their top news show. It's called uh, Heartland Vets. About these veterinarians who cover 2,500 square miles in the middle of the country. Well, veterinarians are still allowed to work, and we're pretty much done shooting that, and we feel confident. We're, you know, in some ways we're dancing in place because we can't really shoot anything 
in our real big field shows. But in other ways, you know, we're editing and editing and editing. And we feel like if we get that on the air, people will accept the fact that it's not a quarantine show because veterinarians are out there. By the same token, we had a Snapchat show. We had to stop that. But I think we will get back to shooting those shows eventually. However, we will shoot them differently. We won't have a cast of thousands in terms of a crew. It'll be a much smaller crew. Will that be a permanent change, do you think? Or is it, is it a temporary thing? I think the answer to that is going to come from my employees. I have, you know, everybody on our, uh, in our company is staff. So we don't have freelancers. Right. So it's really important to me that they feel comfortable. I can't ask anybody to do something that they don't want to do. It wouldn't be right. And it goes against the way we run our company, which is family first. Well, this is a real test of that. What sort of permanent changes and permanent learnings will come out of this? Because if you, if you learn how to shoot something that you used to shoot with 30 people, you learn how to shoot it with 10 through necessity now, why would you not shoot with 10 people in the future? I think there will be permanent changes in that. We're going to have to be careful because we think this might come back. So when people come back to the office, it will be on a rotating schedule. There will be people working from home on a regular basis. I've always had some people work from home, people were parents who needed to. But I think also, it's funny, our office was always really cool because it was open and you just wandered around, big kitchen. Well, I just ordered cubicles. Yes, it's like the office, except they're funky. They're really funky. So that's at least good. Because obviously there's a big event circuit as well that, uh, that television revolves around and there's yep. a lot of networking events, meet and greets like that. Yes. Firstly, do you think they'll just come back? Do you think everyone will just get on the plane again? And, and secondly, again, do, do you think some of these learnings that we're having now about how you're meeting and pitching might actually become permanent? We don't need to be on, the, on a plane and going to an event every week. How do you think that, that circuit will, will look at the end of this? I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss the camaraderie. I'm going to miss the sort of chance meeting with somebody where you can exchange ideas. So I hope that gets back together. I don't see that happening for a couple of years. I do think now we're going to do Zoom pitches and we're doing Zoom meetings with our commissioners. And um, that's all been really fine. How does the health of the US cable business look when we get on the other side of this? Because they're a staple buyer, aren't they, for, for so many production companies? They are. Um, again, we're really lucky. You know, we've been in business for 20 years and we have ongoing relationships. And I find when there are cutbacks, they have not yet affected us. I do think that, you know, advertisers are going to have less dollars. It's, it's a weird paradox that people are watching more television, but they're getting less ad dollars. One of the things I've heard, because they're obviously, they're going to have schedule gaps coming up, they're keen to get things on air at the moment, is yeah. that the, develop, the development process is actually sped up. You finding with the stuff that you're doing now that actually the development's contracting and, and being a bit speedier? Yes. I mean, at this point, you're not done with the phone call and they're like, yes, go ahead, do it. What can you do it for? Yes, because they still have to fill up those programming hours. So they rely on the people who can figure out how to get it done to do something. And in some ways, I have to say, this has energized our creativity. You know, we're finding new ways to do things. We're coming up with new ideas. And it's been really exciting. I mean, I miss my gang. I miss, I mean, we have a Zoom every single morning and at night and we have our quarantinis and I miss the camaraderie. But I also am inspired by the creativity. It's been super cool. 
is there is there a tipping point at the moment where you I mean you seem to be still trucking along quite nicely having yeah. pivoted into in a different direction is there a tipping point you know three months good six months awful you know where it where it will get to be a, a, a very serious problem I don't know the answer to that I do know that what I say to my uh, you know my gang is let's think about three months from now let's think let's not think about tomorrow because tomorrow is about to pass let's think about the future and see what we can come up with and that's what we've been doing and again because we're an independent we can take a risk we can develop something and have it not go anywhere you know we can if we have an idea we can go for it and that has really paid off for us so will there be a tipping point i have no idea but i have to operate on the belief that we are going to make it through this and that we're going to be better than ever nancy glass from glass entertainment finally la-based production company school of humans set up by elsie crowley and brandon barr earlier this year launched a hybrid animation outfit called trioscope studios based on a patented technology they developed which marries state-of-the-art cgi with live action performances the company's first project is an animated drama for netflix called the liberator but as scripted productions everywhere grind to a halt under COVID-19 lockdown, it's getting plenty of calls from others keen to explore the possibilities. Barr spoke with C21's Clive Whittingham. Right now, we're getting a lot of interest from streamers, um, but we've also had, particularly after actually the lockdown, we've had interest from larger broadcasters as well. But you know, primarily our market is streamers. Our first series is uh, coming out on Netflix. It's a World War II drama called The Liberator that was written by Jeb Stewart, who uh, wrote Die Hard and uh, stars Bradley James, who is a fantastic UK actor. We actually cast a lot out of the UK for that series. We shot that in Poland, uh, in our facilities in Poland, and all of the post workflow goes through Eastern our, our Eastern European office. Presumably quite a, a, an inventive, cost-effective way of doing a, a, a drama or a film like that without uh, saving Private Ryan levels of budget and location shooting. Yeah, so I mean, The Liberator was a um, Alex Kershaw novel. He wrote Bedford Boys, which Saving Private Ryan is, is based on. So, you know, very similar type of story. Huge scope and scale. It's literally 500 days of fighting across different environments. And we're able to imagine all of that and film it all in a single studio uh, in a very controlled environment. And I think that the benefit of being able to take things that have huge scale and put them there, but also to, but also to give actors a new way to really sort of connect with the material. So far, you know, people who've really, who've performed in Trisco Productions have just kind of fallen in love with it. And they keep coming back to us and saying, what if we did this? What if we did that? In a lot of ways, it, it, it reminds me, I guess, of the excitement uh, that happened in the industry when uh, Richard Rodriguez was doing Sin City, uh, just in terms of feeling like a new form of, like a new medium, and one that allows you to take some of the fiscal handcuffs off that would normally be, you know, limiting a production and really just tell the stories you want to tell. I'm wondering how guys who are running ostensibly just a, a, an, a, an unscripted production company seeing into doing animated drama, like what was the moment that you thought this is the path we're going down? 
once the lawyers told told us we could patent it that was a that was a big step but but really for us it was it was about you know avoiding some marketplace confusion particularly at the beginning our school of humans our other production company does podcasts and live action premium documentaries we do some weird stuff on adult swim and we've always had a bunch of things in the animated world but it was just you know as we started to realize that there was a broader landscape one in which we could partner with other production companies it made it made sense for us to be an an, an an animation only entity animation seems to be having a bit of a moment now with what we're going through because the the two things we keep hearing is that animation and post-production are fine is that your experience how how's it gone for you guys yeah yeah i mean i mean i i hate to to be a you know, rosy in a in a time of gloom, but indeed, animation is definitely having a moment. Uh, we when we talk with our commissioners, they're not only making sure shoring up all of the animation that they've already commissioned to make sure that it, that it's moving, but they're getting conversations from other people in the you know at the streamers about hey, maybe this project can find new life as animation, or maybe this project can find new life as animation. So I think there's it's really a growth moment for the industry. Um, and I think that, you know, to seize that opportunity, it needs a tool that can handle, you know, what is ostensibly 60 to 65% of the content spend of streamers, which is, you know, drama, sci-fi, these sort of broader categories. And, you know, I think that, you know, we're, we're just hoping to provide one tool uh, in that toolbox to be able to do that. But yeah, no, for us, there was definitely a, ch- a challenge of moving and making sure that our entire workflow to delivery was was set but because we worked globally between offices in LA and Atlanta and Europe we already had the IT infrastructure in place to really be able to transition to work to home pretty quickly so it hasn't affected our workflows um, and we've also been really inventive about experimenting about ways in which we can capture performance even in lockdown sending green screen studios in boxes to uh, actors in quarantine and then directing them via zoom uh, and we found that it, it it's been working great for us is it slightly complicated by your your method that you use does actually use actors which is that's slightly more complicated than computer animation or drawn animation does that does that complicate it at all it does complicate it a little bit because you know you are using a live action production the benefit of treescope is is that the live action is shoots are are heavily planned and heavily truncated so we plan out every shot and previews ahead so they 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 actually occur much much later in the production cycle. So we were already completed with our live action shoot before the lockdown for the Liberator. Our next series is not slated to go into physical production until the fall. We, we are doing a lot of the digital previs and the building of the assets and, and whatnot now. Our look dev team can continue using the method I sort of talked about in terms of remote capture. So it is a little bit more challenging for us and we're having to sort of wear the same hats that people who are dealing with large scripted series do. The benefit is is that our workflow is such that our studio shoots are much, much more contained. Um, there's never more than 50 people on a, on a Treoscope set, even when you're doing large crowd scenes. And because it's all shot on blue, we've actually created a system in which we can create barriers between actors, have them acting at distances from each other while still being able to maintain sight lines. So, you know, we, we, we feel pretty confident that as we get to the, the to 
to, to where we need to, to shoot in, even if we maintain a, you know, a pretty strict lockdown, because we can be geographically diverse uh, and, and go to a place that is maybe less affected, because we have these sort of social distancing measures on set, we feel confident that our workflow isn't going to be, uh, is, isn't going to be disrupted. The, the actors don't actually need to be together, presumably. You can just film one actor on, on one green screen another benefit absolutely so we can uh we can film actors in uh in their homes you know obviously for particular scenes where there would need to be more interaction we prefer them to be in the same spot and in that instance that's where we've talked about segmenting off the the green screen set into basically individual sort of uh individual performance pods if you will but we're planning for all scenarios you know we're planning for restrictions loosening and everyone really being uh vigilant um on set but we're also planning for a lockdown to continue through spring because i think as business owners you have to uh and you have to come up with strategies that are going to still deliver the content you mentioned your last series was filmed a, a bit in poland and international travel seems like it's going to be a no-no for, for quite some time so what changes are you looking at for the way you work yeah, you know, I think that um, we, you know, we have our facilities in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. We uh, have our facilities in Poland. But the, again, the benefit of Treescope is that it is really modular the way you capture it. So we're able to move you know, small teams to actors' homes and really limit a lot of that travel. As international travel, if and when it does open up, it'll, it'll open up another opportunity for us, which is to, you know, to do a full set in, you know, in countries that are less affected. Right now we have a feature documentary that is uh, targeted right now for, for Bangkok. Uh, and we've been on the ground with our production partners there. And they feel confident that the country is going to have things under control uh, you know, with obviously with temperature testing of crew and so on and so forth in fairly shorter. We're not we're not scheduled to uh, start production on that until the fall. And I think they've already talked about production opening up, you know, as early as June. And I noticed that uh, I think Norman Lear's drama is getting an animated uh, is getting an animated episode. And we were talking earlier today about whether that could be an option. Drama will probably be the last uh, thing to get back on its feet. Is that something you're looking at and think is an option, like animated versions of existed dramas? I won't mention the show, but we've gotten uh, emergency calls from from uh, from from broadcast shows in the U.S., big big shows that said, "Hey, we finished our entire season except for the last episode, and uh, we we want to do it uh, half animated. Can can you deliver in May?" And 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 while uh, Treescope is both cost efficient and uh, time efficient. Uh, we had to let them know that May was not possible. <laughs> There's only so much, uh, only so much you can do. My next question was going to be uh, like, have you had extra interest or, or new interest from either buyers or producers that you weren't speaking to before because of all this? But I, I guess you've kind of answered it. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I think that I think the answer is yes. Um, it not to a point where it's really shifting our development priorities. You know, we have large projects in the work with companies like Dark Horse Entertainment and uh, a project with uh, Radical Media. So, you know, we have our own slate that we're pushing forward, but we're always happy to have those conversations. Like for me, what's exciting about Treoscope is that it can open up a new world of storytelling. And, you know, if that happens out of necessity versus, uh, versus out of a creative stylistic choice, then we're ready to help make it happen. Brandon Barr from Trioscope Studios. 
That's all for this episode. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 